Chapter 14 This is a joke, right? Murphy was saying. It's another trick. Sure it is, said Alex. Terry's still mad that the wimps lost the treasure hunt, and this is his mature way of showing it. Did he pay you off to go along with it, Dave? It's no joke, said David, shaking slightly in his wet clothes. He and Terry were standing in front of the fireplace, drying off. They were facing the remaining party guests. Tentative smiles and laughs had turned to expressions of horror, as they began to realize that this Halloween trick might be for real. Trisha spoke now, trying to fight back tears. Are you telling us that Les is, is dead? Murdered, said Terry grimly. But who? And Uncle Philip? Justine spoke for the first time. Something has happened to him too? We don't know for sure, said Terry, but we found his jacket covered with blood. Justine buried her face in her hands and began to cry. Alex, who had been sitting next to her, put one arm around her and patted her gently with the other. Angela stood up shaking. Someone, someone in this house is a, a, a murderer, she said. Her voice sounded very high-pitched and almost hysterical. Or someone outside the house, said David. He told the others about the cut phone line. I, I want to go home, Angela said. I have to get out of here. She ran toward the front door with Ricky and Murphy both after her. You can't get out, said Ricky. It's really pouring now. Besides, Murphy added, Marty and Bobby might still be out there. I don't care, she shrieked. She slipped away from them and rushed through the door. An instant later, there was a cry from the front porch. Murphy and Ricky rushed outside. A moment later, Ricky came in, more frightened than ever. It's okay, he said. She fell down. She tripped on the piece of plywood Marty and Bobby put down as a ramp. Murphy came inside, carrying Angela. She was still crying, but no longer sounded hysterical. My ankle, she moaned. I think it's sprained, said Murphy. He set her down on one of the sofas. You'll have to carry me home, Murphy, Angela said. I don't think I can walk. I'll help, said Alex. Stop, Justine cried suddenly. Don't leave me alone. Please, wait till morning. We cannot go for help then. We've got to call the police, said David gently. But there's no reason for everyone to go. There's a payphone at the corner of Fear Street and the Old Mill Road. It should only take me a few minutes to drive there. Terry thought about the walk through the cemetery to get to the cars and wondered how David could face it. But he knew David was right. He had to go. In any case, Terry had to stay there and find Nikki. Don't worry, said David. You'll be safe here as long as you all stay together. Don't leave the living room and lock the front door. I'll be back with help in just a few minutes. He pulled on his varsity jacket and slipped out the front door. For a moment, the only sound in the room was Angela's muffled sniffling. Then Ricky got up and locked the front door. Everyone had crowded closer together in front of the fire, and even Justine seemed lost and frightened in the flickering light. It'll only be a few minutes, said Trisha, soothingly to Angela. As long as we all stick... Terry, where are you going? I still don't know where Nikki is, he said, trying to sound calmer than he felt. I was looking for her when I found Les. This isn't just a trick, said Alex suspiciously. What do you think, Terry snapped. Do you see Nikki anywhere? She's been missing for over an hour. I'm sorry, man, said Alex, suddenly frightened. I'll help you look for her. For a moment, Terry wanted to tell Alex to mind his own business, but he read an expression of real concern on his former friend's face, and he realized for the first time how much Alex really cared for Nikki. Besides, he told himself, the most important thing wasn't who found her, but to find her as quickly as possible. And too much time had passed already. With a growing sense of urgency, Terry realized that it might already be too late. As he walked toward the woods surrounding the cemetery, David realized he had never been so scared in his life. He had volunteered to go for help because he couldn't stand the thought of just waiting in the mansion with Les's body there, but he couldn't get Les out of his mind. Every time he closed his eyes, he saw Les's staring, sightless face. Every time the wind shook the trees, he saw the skeleton costume. The rain was slanting down harder than ever, and he was soaked completely through. 
His body had started to shiver from the cold and from fear. It was taking him a lot longer to get to the cemetery than he remembered. The ground was deeply rutted and now so slippery with mud that he had to watch every step. The wind had shifted and was blowing directly in his face, as if to force him back to the Cameron mansion. The only good thing was that there had been no sign of Fabi and Marty. Maybe the weather had gotten too bad for them. The wall surrounding the Fear Street Cemetery loomed just ahead. He pushed open the gate and began to pick his way along the path between the grave markers, trying not to think about where he was. With every boom of thunder, lightning lit up the graveyard like a snapshot, the old gravestone standing out in eerie relief. It was only a few more yards to the end of the graveyard and where the cars were parked. In a flash of lightning, he finally saw them in the distance and felt a flood of relief for the first time in hours. In just a few more steps, he'd be out of there and on his way to help. At last, he reached the gate, swung it open, and began to run toward the handful of cars parked at the end of Fear Street. He reached into his pocket and took out his keys as he approached his red Corolla, and stopped, holding them in his hand. The Corolla was sitting at an odd angle. Every one of its tires had been slashed. Every tire on every car belonging to the guests had been slashed. Chapter 15 Bobby and Marty, David thought. He'd come all the way through the cemetery, and now he wouldn't get any farther. What could he do now? Somehow he had to get help, but it was a very long walk back to town. A flash of lightning illuminated the houses along the end of Fear Street, and David realized he could simply go to one of them and ask to use the phone. Never mind that half the houses were abandoned, and the other ones were supposed to be haunted, or that it was so late. This was an emergency. He stood looking at the nearest houses a moment, then set out for the closest one, and was stopped by the roar of a motorcycle. Bobby and Marty, both on Bobby's motorcycle, came roaring out from behind the cemetery and stopped directly in his path. "'Going somewhere, David?' Bobby said. "'The party's in the other direction,' added Marty. "'We thought maybe you'd help us get back in.' "'Especially when you see what'll happen if you don't,' said Bobby. Both boys' words were slurred, and David realized they'd been drinking heavily, probably since they had crashed the party earlier. "'Come on, David,' said Marty nastily. "'What do you say?' Suddenly, David had had enough. After everything that had happened, he wasn't going to let himself be pushed around by a couple of bullies. A nagging voice in the back of his mind reminded him that Marty and Bobby might be murderers, but he dismissed it. They were too cowardly to do anything really terrible, he thought. Besides, he was too angry to think straight. Get out of my way, David said angrily, and took another step toward the house across the street. Bobby revved his engine. Hey, cool your jets, man, he said. David seems to have forgotten his manners, Marty said. He had pulled the heavy chain out of his jacket and, holding it menacingly, stepped off the bike. I don't have time for this, David said furious. Something terrible has happened. Something even more terrible is about to happen, said Marty, taking a step toward him. To you. For the first time since Marty and Bobby had showed up, David began to be afraid of them. He realized they had been drinking too much to know what they were doing. All right, all right, David said, backing up. Take it easy. Hey, what's the matter, man, said Marty. Don't feel so brave anymore. Look, said David, searching desperately for a way to escape. I don't have any problem with you guys, so why don't you just go away and leave me alone? No can do, said Bobby, just behind Marty. Both bikers were so intent on violence that David realized his only hope was to get away from them. He spun around and, slipping on the wet ground, dashed back into the graveyard. Bobby and Marty were right behind him. They moved surprisingly quickly, considering how drunk they were. David ran down a long path, a blur of tombstones flying by on either side of him. He was heading toward the wall and then to the Fear Street woods. Ow! He caught his foot on a root and went down in the mud. He was just pulling himself to his feet when Bobby and Marty caught up to him. Hey, dude, wait up, said Bobby drunkenly. You shouldn't have run away. It could be dangerous. Marty cocked his arm and took a swing at David's head. 
David easily ducked, but he slipped again and felt a sickening crack as his head hit the corner of a gravestone. He saw a bright flash of light, and then everything went dim, as if someone had pulled a curtain down over his head. Through the curtain, he could faintly hear Bobby's and Marty's voices. They seemed like figures in a faraway place. "'What'd you do?' said Bobby's voice, sounding frightened. "'Nothing,' said Marty. "'He slipped and hit his head.' "'He looks hurt bad,' said Bobby. "'What if he dies?' "'Then we don't want to be anywhere around here,' said Marty. "'Come on, let's move him out of sight.' David knew they were talking about him, but somehow the words didn't make any sense. He was very sleepy. He felt himself being dragged along the ground. The light became dimmer and dimmer, and then faded out completely. Chapter 16 Terry didn't really like the idea of Alex helping him find Nikki, but he realized it made sense. Too much time had passed already. Please, he thought. Please let her be okay. I've already checked on the second floor, he told Alex. Why don't you check it again in case I miss something? Wait, said Justine. I'll go. I know the house better than anyone. I'll go with you, said Alex. No, Alex, she said sweetly. You wait in the living room with the others, in case anything happens. Alex was about to protest again, but Justine leaned over and kissed him on the cheek. Please, let me do this. I feel so terrible about everything that's happened. At least, let me try and help Terry. Grumbling, Alex went back to join the others by the fireplace. Thanks, Justine, Terry said. Please be careful. I promise, she said. Why don't you check down here while I go upstairs? Terry nodded. The only place he hadn't looked was the basement. He didn't really think Nikki would have gone down there alone, but he couldn't think of anywhere else to look. As he started down the dark, narrow steps, he could hear the others talking in hushed, frightened tones back in the living room. Please, he kept thinking over and over. Please, please, please. This was the first time he'd gone down to the basement. Each step creaked like something alive, and he wondered if the stairs were strong enough to hold him. The flashlight showed thick ropes of cobwebs and splintered dusty beams. It was obvious that Justine and her uncle hadn't done any renovations on this part of the house. The basement itself was jammed full of old boxes and splintered boards. He jumped as something skittered across the floor behind him. It's just a mouse, he told himself. At least, I hope it's a mouse. Nikki can't be down here, he thought. He wanted to call out her name, but knew she couldn't hear him even if she was there. He heard another noise, a kind of thumping from the far end of the low, dark space. In the circle of light, he saw a large storage closet set against the wall. Gingerly, he approached it and yanked the door open. Inside was what he thought at first was a bundle of rags. And then the bundle moved. It was Nikki. She stared up at him with a dazed expression. Terry? Funny face! Terry dropped to his knees and put his arms around her. He held her tightly, overwhelmed with relief that she was alive. Finally, he let her go and shone the flashlight so she could see his face. Are you all right? he said. Where are we? asked Nikki, looking around in confusion. In the basement of Justine's house, said Terry. In a closet. The basement, said Nikki. How on earth did I get... I don't know, said Terry. What happened to you? I'm not sure, she said. I think someone knocked me out. Knocked you out? Terry felt his heart begin to race. He searched Nikki's face and saw that she had a large purple bruise on her forehead. Tell me what you remember, funny face. Nikki pulled herself to her feet and brushed the dust off her red gown. She squinted, remembering. Right after we had that, that silly argument, she said. I went back up to Justine's room. It was really dark and spooky, but I kept thinking there had to be something I'd missed, something that would explain the strange way Justine's been acting. I went back in the secret closet, Nikki went on, and this time I noticed a shoe box on the floor. None of the other shoes were in boxes, so I opened it. It was full of mementos, old pictures, some pressed flowers, and, and this. She reached in her pocket and handed Terry a brittle news clipping from a shady side paper. Terry took the clipping and shone the flashlight on it. 
In growing confusion and disbelief, he began to read. Local couple killed in fiery crash. Edmund D. Cameron, 26, and his wife Sissy, 20, were killed late last night when their car was hit head-on by a car driven by James B. Whittle, 16. The Cameron's car, a late model Ford, was heading south on Old Mill Road when it was hit by Whittle's car, a Chevrolet station wagon. According to witnesses at the scene, Whittle had been drag racing with another car, a Corvette driven by John McCormick, 16. The Cameron car spun out of control and into a ditch where it burst into flames. I didn't see anything until it was too late, Whittle said. They just showed up in the fog. I feel terrible about it. Whittle's car sustained major damage while the Corvette was untouched. Neither Whittle nor McCormick nor any of their passengers was seriously injured. Those riding with Whittle included Evelyn Sales, 15, Joanne Trumbull, 15, Arlene Corin, 16, and Robert Carter, 14. The passengers in the Corvette were Jim Ryan, 18, Nancy Arlen, 16, and Ed Martiner, 15, all of Shadyside. The Cameron couple are survived by a daughter, Enid, age 1. No charges were filed pending police investigation. Terry quickly finished reading the article. This must be the accident that killed the original owners of the mansion, he said. What a horrible way to die, burning to death in a car? Yes, agreed Nikki. No wonder it made Justine crazy. What are you talking about, said Terry. Terry, the couple who were killed in that crash, they were Justine's parents. Terry just stared at her. Maybe we ought to get you to a doctor, he said. After all, someone hit you on the head. Oh, for heaven's sake, said Nikki in exasperation. Are you really so afraid to look at the truth? But Justine's parents, Justine, doesn't make any sense, Terry protested. Besides, the clipping says her daughter was named Enid. Remember, that's the name I saw on those prescriptions, Nikki said. Besides, look at this. She reached in her pocket for something. It was a driver's license showing Justine's picture and made out to Enid J. Cameron. Terry looked at it, shocked. Well, he said finally, I guess Justine isn't a distant cousin after all. But why would she want us to think she's someone else? You still don't understand, do you, said Nikki. Did you notice the names of the people in the accident? Quickly, Terry scanned the clipping again. Whittle, he said, McCormick. Sure, they're some of the same names as some of her friends, but so what? Shadyside is a small place. Terry, they're not just the same names as some of her friends. They're the names of her parents. Didn't you see your father's name, Jim Ryan? I guess I just skimmed it, admitted Terry. But what about the other names, Joanne Trumbull, Arlene Corin? Arlene is my mother, said Nikki. Corin is her maiden name. Terry just stood a moment, thinking about what Nikki had told him. He didn't want to think about what it might mean. There's another thing, Nikki went on. Did you see the date of the article? Yeah, it's, let's see, said Terry, doing some quick mental arithmetic, 28 years ago. And then he realized what that meant. So Justine is, is nearly 30 years old, Nikki finished for him. Terry, she's not a high school student. She's a grown woman. A double life, said Terry. He let out a low whistle. I wonder what Justine would say if she knew you found this stuff. I think she already knows, Nikki said, or somebody does. After I put away the shoebox, I started back to tell you what I found. Before I could close the secret door, someone must have snuck up on me. I remember bending down to pull the door shut, and the next thing I knew, I was in this closet. She touched her finger to the bruise on her head. Terry leaned down and gently kissed the bruised spot. Thank heaven nothing worse happened to you, he murmured. Nikki looked carefully at his face. What do you mean worse, she said. Terry, is there something you're not telling me? Oh, Nikki, he said. He squeezed her hand, hard. So much has been happening. Quickly, he told her about finding Les's body and Philip's bloodstained jacket. When he finished, Nikki was paler than ever. 
So you can imagine, he said, how worried I was. I thought that maybe you had been, had been, I can't imagine why she let me go, Nikki said. She just must not have had the time to, to do with me what she did to Les. She, said Terry, you think Justine killed Les? Who else could it be, said Nikki. Terry, look at the facts. First, there was the invitation list. Okay, he said, thinking. So Justine invited us, the children of the kids who were in that crash. That's right, said Nikki, and only us. Didn't you think it was strange that she insisted no one else could come to the party? Not even as a date? Yeah, I see what you mean, said Terry. I guess we're still having a hard time believing it. That's why she's getting away with it, said Nikki, because no one would believe the sweet, innocent Justine could be a murderer. But Terry, we have to face it. Justine had us here to this party for only one reason. She paused, then went on, her voice suddenly shaking. For revenge. Chapter 17 Nikki, Terry said, we've got to get back upstairs quick. David went to get help, so if Justine's planning anything else, she'll do it soon before the police get here. Without another word, Terry and Nikki raced up the basement stairs and back into the living room. Everyone was sitting as Terry had left them, huddled close to the fireplace, looking scared and miserable. Everyone but Justine. She was sitting on the edge of one of the chairs, a strange look of excitement on her face. When she saw Terry and Nikki, she smiled her most open, friendly smile. Oh, good, she said as if nothing had happened. You found Nikki. Now we can get on with the rest of the party. Get on with the party, Terry said flabbergasted. How can you even think of such a thing? Justine, we know the truth. We know you murdered Les. For the next few seconds, no one could hear anything because everyone was talking at once. Have you guys been drinking? Murphy demanded. I know what this is, said Alex. It's the last try of the wimps to scare the rest of us away. But it won't work, Terry. Forget it. Listen to me, Nikki shouted. I have a newspaper clipping. It proves. Before she could reach for the clipping, Justine suddenly started laughing and clapping her hands. Everyone turned and stared at her. Perfect, she said. Nikki, Terry, you both are perfect. You're even better than when we rehearsed it. If I weren't in on it, I'd even believe you thought I was a murderer. You mean, guess, Trisha, this is just another... It's another surprise, said Justine. The next to last one of the evening. And I'm sorry if it frightened some of you, but what's Halloween without a good scare? She's lying, shouted Nikki. Don't listen to her. This isn't a trick, Terry added. Trisha, Alex, all of you, listen to us. Think about what's happened. What about Les? Trisha asked, suddenly suspicious. What about him, said Justine. He was in on it, too. Come off it, Justine, Terry said. Les is dead. I saw his body. And you killed him. Justine laughed again, as if this were the best joke she'd ever heard. You can stop now, Terry, she said. I think everyone has gotten the point. You're denying you killed him, said Terry. If I killed Les, Justine said, wiping tears of laughter from her face. How come he and I were just having a good laugh upstairs? But, said Terry... Justine, Nikki said at the same time. I saw your... Justine cut them both off. Come on, guys, lighten up. Forget about less. And let's move on to the last surprise of the night. Chapter 18 I can't believe you did this, Murphy grumbled. Even worse, I can't believe we fell for it. Does this mean the wimp team wins? asked Ricky. No way, said Alex. Besides, you had help from Justine. Like all the others, he was obviously relieved. Terry couldn't believe his friends could be so blind. Come on, Ricky. This is for real, he cried. He glanced at Nikki, who was shaking with rage and frustration. This is nuts. They all believe Justine, she whispered. 
We've got to convince them. We're all in terrible danger. I don't think we can, Terry said, but you and I know the truth. Why don't we get out of here while there's still time? Nikki shook her head. We can't do that, Terry, she said. We can't leave them alone with her. Not when they trust her. We'll just have to hope that David gets here soon with help. Terry knew she was right. Justine, said Nikki sweetly, if all this is just a trick, then where is your Uncle Philip? Don't you remember? Justine said, sounding exasperated. He went out for more sodas. That was the dumbest answer Terry could imagine, but the others didn't seem to notice. Terry decided to try another tack. You told us you and Les were just talking, he said, but nobody has seen him. If this was all just a trick, where is he? I thought you never asked, said Justine, hopping up from where she was sitting. Les is in the dining room, helping me prepare the final surprise. Everyone started to move toward the dining room, but Justine raised her hand. Wait just a minute, she said. I want to make sure everything is perfect. She turned and went into the dining room, leaving the door slightly open. Our trick worked perfectly, Les, everyone heard her say. Thanks for all your help. From the other side of the door, Terry and the others heard Justine continue to chat with Les. Terry felt the hair in the back of his neck prickle. Then Justine reappeared at the door. Come on, everybody, she said. Everything's ready for you now. Everyone hurried into the dining room, with Ricky and Murphy supporting Angela as she hopped on one foot. In the center of the room was a long, polished table with a big candelabra in the middle. Around the table were small, gift-wrapped boxes at each place. At the head of the table sat Les. He was wearing big, oval-shaped sunglasses that reflected the candle's glow. Find your places, Justine said. Each box has a name on it. But no one paid any attention to the gift boxes. Instead, they all crowded around Les. Murphy balled up his fist and half-chokingly held it in Les's face. Hey, man, you scared us silly, he said. We were actually worried about you. Yeah, Alex agreed. I never thought I'd be glad to see you. Les didn't answer. It was such a good trick, Les, said Tricia. But it wasn't fair to pull it all on your own team. Why didn't you say something? Les didn't answer. Terry looked at him more closely. Something wasn't right. Les wasn't moving. Not at all. Terry touched his friend on the shoulder, and Les slowly toppled off the chair onto the floor. The dark Les's flew off, revealing his staring and very dead eyes. He's dead, Terry said, feeling cold all over. I knew it. Someone screamed. I think you're going to be sick, Trisha said. Terry turned quickly, just in time to see Justine dart outside, slamming the door behind her. An instant later, a key turned. Terry knew without looking. They were locked in.